well. We'll get started this morning. Do something serious here. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll start reading at verse 1 and uh, work our way down uh, and uh, get down this morning, hopefully, a good chunk of the way. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, cannot speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of a Paul, and another I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are labors together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Now, we introduced this last time in, with verse 1. And again, as we saw, Paul is continuing the thought, uh, the train of thought out of chapter 2. And then again here in verse 1, as he begins to explain why he's conducting ministry the way he's doing it among the Corinthians. He doesn't conduct ministry this way among every, all of them. It's just the Corinthians, and it's because, verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. There's a carnality there. There's a lack of spiritual discernment. And he says, but as unto carnal, even as unto babe, when he says, could not speak unto you, that's a sad state of affairs. That's a situation that should not be at Corinth. And it really, it shouldn't be anywhere in, in any of the church, the body of Christ. So that's not a compliment, see. Spiritually, they don't have the, 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 the discernment. They lack the, the capability to judge. And judge here is a good thing. A judge in the, in the issues of discernment. It always chaps, gets me riled up as much as I get riled up anymore when people say judge and rah, 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 rah. And it's not judge in a courtroom where somebody's casting verdict. It's judgment and discernment, how you think about this. They, they lack the capacity to judge. Back up in 2.15 there. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. They lack the spiritual discernment because they're, they're operating back in chapter 2 there under human wisdom, verse 9, hum, the wisdom of the world. See, they're underneath that eye hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered in the heart of man. They're underneath that eye, ear, and heart gate, heart intuition, the way I feel, made me feel good, so it must be true. Made you feel good. You know, a snicker bar will make you feel good, and it ain't good for you, see. It's not, it's, so not, that is the issue. They're in that capacity. That's why in 3.1, he says, I have to treat you as carnal, because that's the behavior. That's where they're at. And not only carnal, but I have to treat you as a babe in Christ. This is not a compliment. He's rebuking them. Now, it, again, I said it last time, there is a stage in our growth, in our development, where it is completely appropriate to be a baby, a baby believer. Because you're just getting saved, you're just coming to the knowledge, you're growing. But it is not appropriate to stay baby status, see? The, the, the doctrine, the edification process is designed to take you from infancy into adulthood, into maturity. And in the context, what the Corinthians should have been is further along, and they're not. So he's rebuking them, and he's 
chastising them. So then in verse 2, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. Now think about what he's calling milk. Go back to chapter 2 and verse number 2. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Just the issue of justification, that is milk in the edification scheme. I want to take you guys into the hidden wisdom, chapter 2, verse 7, but you're not able to handle the hidden wisdom, the advanced wisdom. You're still stuck over here at the cross. You're stuck in Romans 1 to 5. I, need to, I want to bring you into Romans 6, 7, and 8, actually 6 to 16, but I can't. You're stuck, and shame on you for being stuck there, see. And again, with the Corinthians, he's, he's, a, he's a dad dealing with a disobedient child. So there's not a, not, not a lot of tender care here. There's a, ban, there's a discipline. There's a rebuke because they're stuck and they shouldn't be there. They should be further along. Now, contrast that. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Just so you understand that Paul doesn't do this with everybody. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you look at verse 7, he's talking to the Thessalonians. He says, but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children, like a nursing mom with her baby. We were gentle with you. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. Now, he's not saying the Corinthians weren't dear to him, because they are, but the, the totally, he dealt, dealt with them in a completely different manner. Kid Why? Because, well, you're in 1 Thessalonians. Look at chapter 1. Look at verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God our man. Verse 6, and ye became followers of us. Verse 7, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. Verse 8, for from you sounded out the word of the... You see, they grew. They grown, they groaned up. See, they didn't stay baby. So he comes in in a completely different manner. Like a nursing mom. Cherish, ner desirous affectionate. But when you come back to 1 Corinthians 3, it isn't that way. Why? Because they're stuck on baby. And again, actually, look, come with me to Hebrews 5. Here's the deal. Here's what, what's happening here. Hebrews chapter 5. So it's clear to see from Paul and with the Corinthians, I want to take you the, whole, the, the things of the Spirit, we want to move you forward. The ministry, the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit, we want to move you forward. But you're stuck at a level 3-2 that I can't do that with you. So I have to come in with you, to you completely different. Okay? Chapter 5 of Hebrews, we'll just start in verse 11. By the way, this is a rebuke of Israel. Just as Paul is rebuking the Corinthians, he's going to use terminology that's very similar to what the writer of Hebrews uses. Verse 11, of whom we have uh, many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. <laughs> you guys, your, your eyes aren't open and your ears aren't open to truth. They don't want to acknowledge God. Just like Romans 1 says. They don't. They're walking in their, their apostasy. You can't see it, you can't hear it, you can't, you're, they're just in complete apostasy. Verse 12, for when for the time you ought to be teachers, so what should they be? Teachers, they should be that royal priesthood. What was the priest to do in the nation? Teach. They were to keep the, the, the doctrine in front, the royal priesthood. They're able, they're, they should be teaching. Ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. It's interesting. 
The first principles of the oracles of God are milk. That's the earthly ministry. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You need somebody to come and bring you back up to date and what he did in his earthly ministry. And he calls that milk. I mean, you, some of you guys look at that and go, oh, my goodness, where am I lost? It's milk. Then he says, you can't handle it. Again, this is a strong rebuke against Israel. They should have been teaching this. Instead, by the way, verse 6-1, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. You see, he, same thing Paul's saying to the Corinthians. You guys, the writer of Hebrews, you're stuck in baby land, and it's time to move to perfection, adulthood, maturity, and you're stuck there. See, this is a rebuke. This isn't good. Verse 12, or verse 13, for everyone that uses milk, now watch, is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So the babe is unskilled can't use the word of righteousness. He isn't using it properly. He isn't dispensational, see, Paul would say. Verse 14, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised, now watch, to discern. There's the judgment. Spiritual discernment between good and evil. And again, the exhortation in 6.1 is it's time to move on, guys. So the writer of Hebrews, talking to that little flock, talking to the nation of Israel out there as a whole, you guys are a bunch of babies. We've got to reteach you, and, we're and we shouldn't have to. We should be ready to go, but we've got to back up. Now, when you come back to 1 Corinthians 3, that's what Paul's doing here. Paul says, look, guys, you guys are carnal. You're even babes in Christ, and I can't move you on to perfection. I can't move you forward. You're unskillful. You're unskilled in the use of the word of righteousness. You're babies. And it's a sad state. I have fed you, verse 2. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. I've, why? Because you're not able to handle the meat. You've got, you got to stay on the baby bottle. You're in that baby food. Have you ever seen baby food? It's like, mushy, 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 you know? You can't eat the prime rib or the, or the pizza. We're going to have pizza for lunch. You can't have pizza. You got to stick right. So when, you, when Paul's doing this, now, by the way, again, through the whole epistle, he's this way. Look over at chapter 14. Chapter 14. And again, when we get to these chapters in, in a few years, I'm, okay, this is lesson 31, and we're just in chapter 3. Okay, you chuckle. I'm deadpan serious. When we come through this, we'll get into the detail, but I just want you to see what the terminology, because what we're learning, and the, honestly, the reason why we're going slow for, through these first four chapters is this is the problem at Corinth of all. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. The Corinthians are, um, they're the charismatics. They're man-centered. Galatians are the Calvinists. They're law-centered, Moses-centered, see. And what happens is, is you get this, then when we go look at these other things coming, these other chapters coming after chapter 4, it draws you right back into chapters 1, 2, and 3, and 4. It's, a, it's amazing. 14, 20. Look at 14. Now, 1 Corinthians 14 is the last chapter of chapter 12, 13, and 14 where he's dealing with the spiritual gifts. Look at 1420. Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be you children, but in understanding be what? Don't be a child in understanding. Be a being an adult. Let's grow up here. Quit messing with the child things. See, the problem at Corinth is they weren't advancing in the truth beyond the milk. Look back at chapter 13, verse 11. The illustration here, the, the, the gifts are going to cease. When the completed word of God shows up, the gifts stop. The partial knowledge is now perfect knowledge. 
The partial is now, per there's no more partiality here. It's complete. The word of God is complete. Verse 10, when I was a what? A child. I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. You understand that about a child. A child here is someone who doesn't have full understanding. But when I became a man, when I did what? When I grew up, what did I do? I put away childish things. Now, it's interesting. In light of chapter 3, what are they? They're children. They're babes. And what do the babies like to play with? Baby toys. Paul says, when we got the perfect word, when we got the completed word here, that stuff's going to stop. And what you guys are doing is, is you're liking the... You're like the, you need to put away the childish things. It's interesting, he's likening the spiritual gifts to children, to childish things. The children, see, they like to speak in tongues and do all that. They like the limited understanding. But what is a grown-up like? See, the grown-up is what? I, I got it all. I don't have to play with the toys in the, in the nursery anymore. I can move on, see. So when you come back here, when you, you put away, the Corinthians can't let the childish things go. And again, the context is the spiritual gifts. It's very fascinating to me that he would bring in language about children and thinking like a child when it, when it pertaining to what's happening with the gifts. That's why at the end of chapter 12, in verse 31, he says, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. There's a grown-up way to look at this. You guys are, the Corinthians are over here. So when you come back to chapter 3, the children thing here, the baby, there is an appropriate time for you to be a baby in Christ, learning and growing, but you are not to stay that way. You're to move forward. And that's what he's dealing with here. That there's the, at Corinth, their state of carnality is likened unto a spiritual baby. And that's a bad thing. It's not a good thing. Now look at verse 3. For ye are yet carnal. <laughs> I think he's driving home a point here. Why are they carnal? Because they're thinking like the natural man, 2.14. They're Having human viewpoint run the show, 2-9, eye, eye gate, ear gate, heart gate, they're not functioning as that spiritually minded believer. They, they don't have the discernment. You see, the spiritual minded believer will be orientated to the things of the spirit that are objectively knowable via some words on, in a book that the spirit wrote and that the words of the Spirit, 2.13, we looked at this, frame the thinking of the spiritually minded believer. This has nothing to do with activity or behavior. It's based on comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Here's the, the standard, God's Word, the spiritual things, the things of the Spirit, and here's our thinking coming up and being in mind. So what does he say, verse 3? For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? You know, what the, you know what the result of staying a baby is? Verse 3, envyings, strifes, and divisions. You know what the result of being a naturally minded believer I told when we went through 2.14, that is describing a lost man, but you as a believer can walk like a lost. If you don't believe that, you better go study Ephesians 4.17 and following. You don't lose your salvation. You lose that, uh, that sanctification, that walk benefit. And what Paul's describing is the, the very fruit of the naturally minded believer. So if you approach the Lord based upon 2.9, two if I can just say that, the eye gate, the ear gate, the heart gate, the results will be envying, strife, and division. You know why? Because let's say everybody in this room approached it, uh, coming to know God, he's knowable, we're going to come find God, we're going to do it our way. Ear gate, eye gate, heart gate. 
Whose way is the right way? Well, mine. And But you say what? No, mine. Then half the room says, no, we're with Rick. And the other half the room says, no, we're with Paul. What did we just create? Envying, strife, and divisions because we're not coming the way God's word says to come. See, we're coming with our own agenda. That's the heart. Our own initiative. Our own wannabe. Rather than letting the word of God, King James Bible for English-speaking people, be the standard. Be the weight in our scale, in our equilibrium. The carnal thinking, the natural-minded believer's thinking process will produce envying, strife, ultimately leading to division. And at Corinth, there was a ton of division. And that's why Paul is now going to bring up the, the, this issue between Paul and Apollos, that the Corinthians created, okay? But think about the division. Look back in chapter 1, just chapter 1, verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Why? Because they're minding their carnality. They're, they're that naturally minded believer. Come over to chapter 11, 1 Corinthians 11. When we get over here and we talk about what everybody calls the Lord's Supper, 11 verse 18, and the communion and all that, We'll spend some quite a bit of time here. Verse 18, for first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear there be, that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. Chapter 12, verse 25, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for schism. That's, there's no unity at Corinth. If there was, Paul wouldn't have to say this. Come over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I show you this one because this is at a later date. At this late date here, chapter 12 and verse 20, Paul says, But uh, for I fear lest when I come I should not find you such as I would, and that I should be found unto you such as you, ye would not, lest there be debates, envyings, stri wraths, strifes, backbiting, whispering, swellings, tumults. There is no, at this late date, the Corinthians are still carnal babies. They're not got it yet. They're not growing. They're still, live, come back to 1 Corinthians 3, they're still living in a very dangerous situation. 1 Corinthians 3. They're carnally, the carnally minded, the naturally minded believer results, the natural fruit of the root of carnality is envying, strifes, and division. That's why he says, are ye not carnal and walk as men? See, they're not walking as saints of the Most High. They're over here walking like the Gentile, Ephesians 4, 17. They're not living as who they are in Christ. They're over here doing what they want to do because it makes them... Look good. So then what do they do? Verse 4. For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Where is the division? This is the major division now between Apollos and Paul. But not because of what they're preaching. It's a personality conflict. Come over to Acts 18. I wasn't going to do this, but you're looking at me like, you know, you got to remind. Look at Acts 18. Here's Apollos. Acts 18, 24. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born, of at, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. So he had limited knowledge in the beginning. But notice what he is. First of all, he's at Alexandria. That's Egypt. 
There was no scriptures in Egypt. So that means he went to get them. He's actively looking for it. So he got them. He's an eloquent man. He, he, he's, not, he's not Rick <laughs> with choppy sentences and incomplete sentences and bad grammar and made up words. He's what? He's a professor. He's a scholar. He's a theologian. He's got it all. Now, he only knows John's baptism. Aquila and Priscilla get him, get him more educated. Okay. See, bad. I did it on purpose. I got the cringe look from the wife, from Linda. Oh, you know. But he's what? Mighty in the scriptures. He's not a pushover. He understands. He knows he's this, he's that. So they look. Now, now come to Philippians chapter 3. So what do the Corinthians say of Apollos? Man, he's our guy. He's got to be our man. Look at how smooth he is. He's got he's to be the one out there on the poster in the front. He's the one that's got a picture. has got to be on the website. He's the one that's got to be leading the way. He's boom, he's eloquent. But, so, but what do they say about Paul? You remember? He's, he's rude, contemptible. His appearance is horrible. Well, if you got beat up a couple times, I don't think your appearance would be all that pretty either. They didn't have Sonabello and all that other nonsense that they have today, see. Could you imagine getting beaten with a rod and then have, look at Dr. Luke to set it, and he's like, I'm doing the best I can, but this arm's been broke a few times, <laughs> you know. I mean, you think about the roughness of it. But what do they say? His letters are powerful, but, man, his presence, his speech is rude. Not, again, not crude, okay, rudimentary, basic. And when we went into, started chapter 2, where he says, I came not with you, ex excellency of speech, I showed you how in Acts, Paul can use excellency of speech. He did it on Mars Hill. He did it in Ephesus. He did it when he needed to do it. But with the Corinthians, what, were their, what was their thinking? What was their push? They wanted the excellent speech. And Paul's like, you guys are babes. You're concentrating on the wrong thing. So I'm going to come in here with basic speech pattern. And they said, you know what? We want Apollos. We don't want Paul. Then another group says, no, we want Paul and not Apollos. By the way, Philippians 3, look at verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he must trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrew, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Do you know that Paul was a rabbinical scholar? He was an Old Testament scholar. He was on the same par education that Apollos was. If not, Paul was a little higher because he sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He said he was involved and so forth where Apollos wasn't. So when you come back to 1 Corinthians 3, when they go now and they pit Paul against Apollos, this isn't doctrinal. This is personality. We want the guy up there that's, Shaved, groomed, perfect suit. We don't want the misfit look. Say, another group says, no, we want the misfit. We want Paul. We don't want. And there's this disconnect. And the, so the ramifications of verse 3, envying strifes and division, is now we have a conflict between leadership and within the leadership that the leaders don't have. Look at verse 8. Look at 3.8. Here's the reality. You see, the Corinthians, because they're using the wrong criteria, they are pitting Paul against Apollos. And this completely violates the very nature of how the work of the ministry is to be conducted. Because look at verse 8. Now, he that planteth, that's, that's Paul, and he that watereth, that's Apollos, are what? One. One in what? Purpose. Not one person. We've got two different people, but one purpose. See? So one in purpose. The Corinthians are driving a wedge between Paul and Apollos because their approach is of human wisdom. See? Now, the wedge isn't between Paul and Apollos, the men. It's in the group. See? Paul says he's going to be leaving. Good. We're going to, we don't have to listen to that ragamuffin. 
The other guy goes, no, we do. He's, he's you know, and no, no, I, 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 you know, so it's out there. Verse 21, 3.21, Therefore let no man glory in men, for all things are yours. There it is. You see, the, the Corinthians are glorying in the men. They're glorying in Apollos and in Paul. One side with Apollos, one side with Paul. That's created a... And it's all because of the eye gate, ear gate, and heart gate. Paul is... We don't like the way he looks. We don't like the way he talks. He doesn't make us feel good. So we we don't want him. Well, we like the way Apollos looks. He makes us feel good. He, and it's like, wait a minute, guys, your, your, your criteria is wrong. By the way, look in chapter 4. Watch what Paul does, verse 6. 4, 6. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes. That, that ye may learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up, against, up for one against another. See what Paul just did? Paul got together with the Apollos and says, we got to put an end to this, and so we, we need to figure this out. We need to be on the same page so that the Corinthians will understand by looking at leadership what? How it's to be. We're, we are here, we are labors together with God. See, we're not out for a popularity contest. We're, so what Paul, what Paul then does is I transferred, I, I love that, in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for, for your sakes, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written. So Paul goes to Apollos, and they get on the same page. We have one purpose. And then they go and address the Corinthians, the rest of the verse there, of, hey, you guys are getting puffed up here. Now go back to chapter 3, and you guys are getting puffed up, and you shouldn't puff up, you shouldn't be one against another. We're all together. So then Paul starts, verse 5, who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. The ultimate issue here isn't the human agent. It isn't the man. The issue, it isn't Paul, it isn't Apollos, and really it isn't any other man. When you come back up to even us, what's the issue? The issue is the truth. See? Paul and Apollos, what are they? Well, verse 9, for we are labors together with God. See, the issue, they're co-laboring together. By the way, they're, labor, they're laboring with God, not for God. And that's going to be interesting when we get down into that verse. Paul and Apostle are simply the tools that God is using to plant the seed and then to water the seed. They are, because of the use of the analogy in verse 9 of ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building, he's going to use two analogies, husbandry, agriculture, farming. Paul and Apollos are the field hands. They're out there doing the work. Who gives the increase? God does. See. So the issue here, the point here that Paul is making is that it's God's ministry. That's what he's saying. Guys, it isn't my ministry. I am the minister of the gospel to the Gentiles, so Paul says. But it's not, it's not about me. It's about what God's doing. God is the one giving the increase, and no individual should be held higher than the other. And that's what he's pressing and that's what he's put. Why? Because the Corinthians are over here looking at the hum, human wisdom, human mindset, human thinking. They're babes in Christ. Well, we just don't like Rick because... See, that's baby talk. See, by the way, anybody, everybody that's ever said that to me, 
I've always asked them, what did I say? What did I do? Let's look at it. And they can never give me, they just don't like it. They can never say, well, you said this, blah, blah, blah. And then we go through the passage and we turn it and make it about the doctrine. And I say that because there's only, a, out of all the people that have come and gone, only two or three have had the honesty, the integrity to stand in front of me and say, this is why we're leaving. Everybody else just leaves. You know who just bails? Children. Babies do. Adults stand there, let's have a conversation, let's figure this out. See? Come back into chapter, 1 Corinthians 3. Now, Paul is going, to, verse 9, for we are labors together. We're going to come back to verse 7 and 8, just, just a minute. For we are labors together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. So Paul is going to use two analogies here now in dealing with the division that's happened and to, to bring into a corrective, a correcting in their thinking. So in verse 6, 7, 8, and 9, he's going to deal with husbandry, agriculture, okay, farming, planting, seed, water. Then in verse 9 to 17, he's going to deal with building, a master builder, verse 10. As, as a master builder, I have laid the foundation. You know, if you're laying a foundation, you're building something new. You're not building on an old foundation. So Paul's not building on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the Old Testament, and the apostles, and all that. He's building what? A new thing, see, okay? He's building new. So what happens here in verse 6, 7, 8, 9, that's where we're going to look, for probably only get through this, and then we'll pick up the building next time, hopefully. But the reason that Paul uses the two is to press the point to the Corinthians, to then the church at large, that it is God who gave the increase. It's God who's conducting the ministry. And while Paul and Apollos are laboring together with God and carrying out that ministry, Paul, as the apostle, cannot and will not violate that ministry model and mode of operandi, of operation. In other words, he will not go in there and give them the hidden wisdom when they're not able to handle it. Because the Holy Spirit hasn't said, in, his, in the ministry, the work of the ministry, you just got to plant that seed in them. I'll, Apollos will water. I'll give the increase when they are ready. And guess what? They're not spiritually minded, so they are not ready. The carnality, they haven't got in. All that we've been talking about, okay? God's husbandry has to do with cultivating the land agriculture. And what Paul is doing here is he's going to liken what God is doing today in the dispensation of grace as a work of cultivating the dirt, agriculture. If you look at verse 6, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So Paul is planting by the way, he's planting a seed, okay? Matthew 13, Luke 8, the seed is the word of God in the parables. You think about a seed, what's he planting? We'll talk about, he's planting a seed. Apollos comes in waters. Now, if you think about Paul and how Paul would understand the Old Testament sc scholar, the Old Testament scriptures, he is pulling you back to a point in time of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. So go to Genesis 2. And he is making a, a connection here between when God first cultivated the dirt, the land. And there's a reason for it. God, uh, Genesis 2, verse 7. Genesis 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. And breathe into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living soul. So God took Adam, and what did he do? He made him a dirt man. He reached into the dirt, cultivated the dirt, and he made a man, a living soul. Okay? Verse 8, 
and the Lord God planted a garden. What do you do when you plant a garden? You go out there and you till the ground, don't you? You cultivate. Now, we have to deal with weeds and thorns and all that stuff. God didn't have to do that yet, okay? They don't have that yet. (laughs) He goes and he plants a garden. So here's Paul. Now, think about what Paul's doing here. Get the picture, the imagery. Paul says, I planted a seed, Apollos watered, and we're doing it today in the dispensation of grace. God took a, by the way, a new dispensation, a new foundation. God takes dirt, cultivating the land, and makes a garden, something never made before. He makes a man, never made before, something new. The picture, God takes the dirt, he's cultivating the land. He's conducting husbandry. When he takes, when he cultivates that land, what does he do? He takes the dirt and he made Adam. He takes the dirt and he makes a garden. He's literally tilling the ground doing the work. Now Paul, by the way, well, Paul says once again, what is God doing? Tilling the ground. He's making, he's forming something in the world that is new. Adam is the first man. Christ is the Second Adam, second man. But where are we in Christ? There's something new going on here. Paul, come back to Ephesians 2. Paul, in describing planting and watering the ground, God once did it over here in the garden in in Genesis 2, making something new, Genesis 1 and 2. Now he's doing something new. Today, what is God forming today? In Genesis, he formed a man. What is he forming today? A new man, a new creature, a new agency. And Paul calls it husbandry. Ye are God's husbandry. Paul, in, in, in describing what God is doing today in the age of grace and the dispensation of the grace of God and the forming of the church, the body of Christ, he says what God's doing today is just like what he did back there in the beginning. He's forming something new. Look at Ephesians 2. Do you guys catch that? You follow that, what he's doing here? Because what, what, what they're doing at Corinth is just pitting personalities. And Paul says, no, guys, this is the work of God. This is God's ministry. This is God giving the increase. How do you, look at what he did back here with Adam, and look at what he's doing today. Look at 2.11. Look at our past. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Boy, what a past. Verse 12, that at that time you are without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Where you are, look at your past. Now look at verse 15. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinance, for to make in himself of twain, the Jew and the Gentile, one new man. So making peace. What is he doing today? He's making a new man. So you think about, you got to think about this. In time past, God made Adam the first man. What's he doing today in the dispensation of grace? He's making a new man, isn't he? He's making a new species of humanity. He's making a new creature. He's He's tilling the ground of humanity today. Chapter 2, verse 1. And ye, being dead... And, ye, and, and, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. 
the end of that, end of verse 3, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. What was your status in time past? You're dead. You're worthless. There is no value in you in God's eyes, okay? You see, who? there's no profit. There's no value in dirt. I don't, I didn't break... <laughs> Somebody one time did a breakdown of, of humanity, of the body, and then they compared it to the elements, and it was like $6.80-something cents. That's what you're worth, okay, something like And this was years ago, so you can Google it, and you, okay. The pro yeah, exactly. The problem is, think about dirt. How much, at one time, down in the Queen Creek area, an acre of land was $5,000. Do you know what that acre is today? 500,000, you know, it's a lot more, right? But think about an acre of dirt here out in our desert compared to an acre of dirt in, say, New York or Chicago or L.A. See, dirt's dirt. It's locate, it's, the value is placed upon it by who? Someone else. Okay? In the real estate, location, location, location. You know, McDonald's started out as a real estate company. Then they decided to add a hamburger stand on it. But see, the thing is, is the dirt is worthless until someone else attributes value. What are you? You're a dead, dirty, rotten, no good, child of disobedience, child of wrath, until God stepped in and said, because of what my son has done, I now have value. You, you now have value. You follow that? You're, you, are, you have worth now. We as dead sinners, Gentiles, verse 12, no hope, no God, no Christ. And as far as our situation in our past, we have, were absolutely valueless in the sight of God. Dead. By default, the children of wrath, the children of disobedience. Yet God looked out across that worthless, valueless landscape of the Gentile, of the humanity, that ground. And he said, you know what? I see value in that dirt because of what I am now going to do through my son. So God says, I'm going to take the, that ground of humanity and I'm going to cultivate it. And I'm going to, 215, I'm going to make a twain one new man. He's talking about humanity. I'm going to come in, and I'm going to use a guy, and I'm Paul the apostle, and he's going to plant the seed. And then I'm going to use some other men come up, and they're going to water that plant, that, that seed. See? But I'm the one giving the increase. I'm the one. It's my work. I'm the one that bought the field. That's mine. Why? He's God creator. He created. You want to be your own God, go out there and create your own universe. By the way, start with by creating your own dirt. Can't use God's dirt. Verse 16, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross. Don't let the new Bibles change that to at the cross. It's by the cross. At would mean in that moment of time. It's by because we're, we weren't there. <laughs> And, uh, I'm sorry, by the cross having slain the enmity thereby. So what's Paul doing? Go back to 1 Corinthians 3. What did he say? He says, I have planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Who's doing the cultivating here? Whose work is it? It's God's work. The human agent is Paul and Apollos in the context here. Paul's planting a seed. And again, you have to appreciate why Paul describes the ministry as God's husbandry here. Because it's God doing The Corinthians, they're not even thinking about this. They're looking at personalities and they're looking at different things. And they're using the wrong criteria to come to know what God's doing today. And they're pitting Paul versus Apollos. And Paul says, hey, Apollos, we got to get this together. They get it together to help them. And he says, you know what? I planted. How's God carrying on his work of spiritual agriculture today? Paul says, I planted. 
Now, think about what he planted, a seed. Where does a seed come from? From the seed manufacturing? No. Where does a seed come from? From creation. Who created creation? God did. Who makes the seed? God makes the seed. You got those lemons and oranges and tangelo, you know, all that. You got a seed in there. You take that seed out of that fruit and you go over there and you put it in the jar and you or in the ground and you work on it and you water it and you get and, and if it germinates, where's life? It's in the seed. Paul says, I planted a seed. Come over to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul is faithfully preaching the gospel of the grace of God. He's faithfully out preaching. He's got the gospel of Christ, and then he comes in here and he gives some more, and he's, he's out planting that seed in the field of humanity out there. Now, does every seed take? No. We'll talk about that when we get in the building and the judgment seat of Christ and so forth. Not every seed takes, but what's he doing? He's out there sticking it in as many people as he can. If the seed takes and germinates and, be, and produces life, then Apollos comes over and does what? Waters it, nurtures it, and deals with it, grows it up. Linda took a pecan and made it sprout, and a little tree started growing. And it's like, well, we need to stick it in the ground if we're going to see if this thing. So we stick it in the ground, and we watered it, and we kept it, and we protected it from the hot heat over the summer, and we did all this. And you know what it is now? It's just a stick sticking in the ground. <laughs> it's dead, you know? Okay. We don't know why, but it done, done, it's just done dead. At least that's what it looks like. Maybe in the summer it'll sprout leaves, and maybe it isn't dead. It just looks dead now. Who knows? But the thing is, is what you, you care You come over. We, we, you got, we have citrus trees that got hit with the heat and everything, except for the lemon tree for some reason all of a sudden just decided to produce a bunch of lemons. And, we got all, and you cultivate it, and you take care of it in the freeze, and you wrap it, and you do. That's Apollos. That's other men. Paul's the planter. Nobody else is planting. See, Paul's the wise master builder. See, when I preach to you and I use Paul, I'm, I'm preaching Paul. And I'm, I, when I mean Paul, I mean his epistles, what God's word. Plant that. Apollos comes and he, as Paul faithfully preaching the gospel, Apollos and other men come up, Timothy and Titus and Silas and all these guys, Onesiphorus and, and, and uh, Epaphroditus, all these guys come up and they water it and they nurture it. Look at 1 Timothy 2 and look at verse 4. Who will have all men to be saved and, okay, who will have all men to be saved? That's the planting of the seed. Because you can't come to the knowledge of the truth, understand it, unless you're what? In Christ. Have you given the gospel to people and they reject it? But what did you do? You planted a seed. That seed just didn't catch yet. Maybe it never catches. Maybe it does catch. But you planted the seed of Paul's my gospel, didn't you? You planted. That's why in the overhead about the outreach, I... I wrote that about your successful evangelistic outreach is when you give the gospel, not whether they believe it or not. Why? Because that's God's business. He does that. He takes care. Our job is to be the faithful ambassador doing what? Grace and peace, and here's the gospel. And what that does is it takes off of you that push to get a result. Now, you can push to get a result, but that's, and that's okay. That's our normal tendency. But that's not the goal. The goal is what? Plant the seed. And come to the knowledge of the truth. That's the watering. That's Apollos coming up and nurturing it and bringing, bringing it around. You see, the seed, it contains the blueprint for life. And all the field hands do is plant it. And if it germinates and brings forth life, then you have others who come along and water it and nurture it and bring it more and, and get it going. And then the next thing you know, that tree is now dropping more seed. 
leans. And, and that humanity of dirt out there. Now go back to 1 Corinthians 3. So God, in His wisdom, as He looks at the dirt of humanity, has a guy, uses Paul to plant the seed of life, a life-giving message. And Paul plants that seed. Hope, hopefully it'll produce life, germinate, catch and once it does, Apollos comes and waters it. And again, that's the knowledge of the truth, that advancement, the nurture, the growing, the fertilizing. And then in verse 8, he says, Now he that planteth and he that water." By the way, verse 7, So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth. Again, the issue isn't the human agent. The issue is the truth. It's what God's doing. It's God's ministry. And again, the one that's planning and the one that's watering, they're one, one in purpose. Which is why in verse 9 he says the issue about ye are God's husbandry. And then he says ye are God's building, and we'll have to get that next time. But if you think about God giving the increase that is the law of agriculture. What are we doing here? We're planting a seed. We're water. Nurture that. Why? So there's an increase in, the, in you, in your inner man. And when you, if you think, in thinking about ministry, God's husbandry, it's literally calling out of worthless humanity a new man, a new body, a new creature, a new creation, and how he does it is he cultivates it. He comes in and he's got a message that is a design to produce in people eternal life. Just like that seed is designed to produce life. One kernel of corn, one seed of corn produces two ears of thousands and thousands of kernels, more seeds. But not every kernel catches. Man didn't create the seed. That's what Paul's doing. You know what they're doing at Corinth? We like Apollos because he's our guy. Woohoo! And Paul's like, no. Apollos and I are laborers together with God. We're, we didn't create the seed. We didn't create. The creator created. You and I didn't create the good news of, of, of the gospel. God did that. By the way, Paul says you would have never even thought to ask him to do that. See, you'd have never thought to ask God the Father to send God the Son to die on the cross for your sins. You know what you would have thought? What man thinks. Give me something to do. I can do it. I'll get her done. And God says no. So Paul, now by the way, when we get into the building, he's going to reach in and use master builder. He's going to use some terminology. That's why he says there, take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Because as we go now down into chapter 3, we're going to get into the judgment seat of Christ and everybody freaks out about it. You know, it's going to be one of the most glorious days in your Christian life, in your spiritual life. Let me say it that way. But you've got to adequately understand it because and why he brings it up here with the Corinthians. Because they need to understand the danger of maintaining human wisdom and its impact not only in the moment, but for all eternity. See? And we'll get into all that, uh, not next time, but in the, in the coming days. Ye are God's husbandry. Paul's the plant, the seed. Apollos, other men come up and water it. When you trusted Christ as your personal Savior, you became a, a downline member of Paul's line because you believed Paul's my gospel. That's why in a little bit here when he looks at them and he's to the Corinthians, he says, you got 10,000 instructors, but I begat you. See, you didn't get saved. I know someone gave you the gospel and you trusted it and believed it, but whose gospel did you believe? The gospel given to Paul. See, follow that? So you're in his downline if you're a multi-level marketer, thinker. 
You belong to him. So when he looks out and he says, hey, man, what a great rejoicing it is to see you, you're special to him. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, for the instructions here, for the look into it, to see what Paul is dealing with at Corinth so that we could be on guard in our own lives and our own thinking that we would never be called babes or carnal, but that yet we would just be on guard to mind our thoughts and our thinking and, our, and, and to have the proper mindset in, in working and laboring with you. In your name we pray, amen.